Hey everybody, it's Matt Shannon with the MattCast, and over our next few episodes, the quality of audio might be a little different than what you're used to hearing, because we've conducted some interviews over the intranet, and uh, we really want to get to the heart of uh, the issues that we're facing as a country and hear from voices uh, that can give us some insight. And so we want you to tune in to these episodes and really sit back and relax and enjoy these things, Uh, but we also wanted to give a disclaimer that the audio is slightly different because we're over the internet and not over in our studio. So with that being said, please enjoy this episode of the MattCast. Hey, welcome back to the MattCast. Uh, today we have a guest, Devin Sims, and this is a series that we're opening up the, the show to uh, friends and acquaintances of the show, uh, giving everybody a platform to discuss some topics that are going on in the country today, and because uh, you know that's what the show is all about. So uh, I want to introduce Tevin Sims, and of course in the uh, other corner of the screen we got my co-host Matt Chandler. What's up, everybody? And myself, Matt Williams. A previous guest referred us to uh, Redbeard and Brownbeard. That's right. So, uh, Tevin, it should be easy to remember our names, but if you need to resort to our I might use that. I might use that. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, RB and BB. There you go. There you go. Hey, hey. Uh, Well, hey, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, Like Matt said, BB, um, my name is Tevin Sims, and I get the privilege. I'm a pastor of the... Uh, our small groups pastor in a church called Awaken Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, And I have been on staff at Awaken Church uh, for about six years now. And uh, the church um, is about eight years old. And so um, our lead pastor, my senior pastor, he uh, planted the church with his family and a small group of others um, back in late 2012 and launching the first services in 2013. Um, and so, uh, it's been a unique journey. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, super grateful. I am married, um, been married for a little over a year now. We celebrated a year in March. And so it's exciting. No kids, um, right now. So, um, just enjoying married life. And, uh, yeah, so I, and for people watching, I met Matt, how me and Matt, uh, RB, how we're connected is, um, I guess it was maybe like what two years ago now. I think so. Two years. Um, there was, you know, one of the things that we believe in at Awaken Church is relational discipleship, and uh, there's this RDN network, relational discipleship network, uh, which is a bunch of churches across the country, really across the, the world, uh, who believe and adopt this relational discipleship method. Uh, and so, um, started out with real life ministries out in Post Falls, and they've kind of multiplied it. And the other churches have adopted that method of discipleship. And it was at a training where I met Matt and uh, I think uh, Chance was with you. And was there one more person? Yeah, a guy named Chris. guy named Chris. And so met the three of them, met Matt there. And, uh, man, it was an awesome uh, couple of days with them, getting to know them and, and, and just talk about the ways and the life of Jesus. And uh, from there, obviously, uh, with the power of technology and social media, been able to keep track with each other and how things are going and even have run into um, them at conferences. And, and so we've been staying in contact. And so that's how I know Matt, that's our connection. And uh, it's cool to see what God's been doing through you guys. So. Yeah. We just saw each other. Was that, was that last year or the, or, yeah, it was last year, I guess in Nashville that we saw each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. at uh, Yeah. Right. at uh, In November last right. year. Not that long yeah. ago. Okay. Uh, did, did we bump into Devin in the hallway on this 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 most uh, trip? Well, uh, we saw him uh, in the hallway. We saw him in the sanctuary during okay. one of the breaks. Gotcha. So, Tevin, you've actually met Matt Brownbeard yeah, as well. That's so. right. That's right. That's right. I remember. I remember because then it was. That's when you told it was me and Forrest. That's and, right. Um, I believe you guys were telling us about the cool, unique opportunity you guys were having as a church at the time. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how God will bring people together, and uh, you know, there's something that you can that, that goes beyond 
even uh, racial barriers that we're talking about today that, that it's so deep uh, of a connection and you just feel that with somebody and it doesn't matter what they look like, what, how, how their social status is or anything like that. You just have that connection through, through Christ. Yeah. And, um, it's cool to watch from this side too. watch you and your family start to grow and, and, uh, you know, what God's doing at you, for you guys in Charleston as well. So, um, really glad we made a connection. I'm glad you're able to come yeah. in today and, and talk with us because, you know, we're trying to get unique perspectives from people and being two very white guys. And I mean, my skin color is Elmer glue, um, that, uh, you know, it, it's pretty arrogant for, for our skin color to say, we understand those skin colors injustice, um, looking from the outside in, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so, um, one of the things I've, I've learned throughout my life, uh, mostly the hard way is that it's always good to listen before I speak sometimes. And I think a lot of America needs to listen right now and not speak. And, you know, one of the things that, um, before we get into the, let me share your heart on this. Um, I know there's, there's so many facets to this conversation and so many questions that both sides of the the issue have. Um, I think the most important thing in my mind that starts any kind of healing process, no matter what it is, is being able to sit down and view someone as a human being and yeah. realize that you don't have all the answers, um, but you're willing to listen to at least an experience so you can somehow put yourself in a place where you can understand uh, where someone's coming from and, and be a part of the solution. So yeah. um, you said you were married. Can you talk to us a little bit about how perhaps uh, you've seen some racial injustice just based on your marriage? Well, not necessarily um, the racial injustice uh, so my wife, she, she's a white female and, um, you know, and just, so even before while we were dating and, and, you know, engagement and now marriage, you know, we, those are decisions that we had to make, you know, and, and Hey, like, understand that what we're doing is, is different. And, um, Hey, we may get, we may have people look at us differently. We may have people judge us or, you know, jump to conclusions. Um, you know, not for, for me, there may be, uh, there may be white people who look at me, um, and, and think things about me because I'm married to a white female and for her as well. And, and even on the same side, there might be even black people who look at me differently and maybe, you know, in a sense, lose respect or, or think differently about me because I'm married to a white lady and, and, and vice versa for her as well. Um, and so, uh, those are real conversations that we had to have. And, and even, you know, with everything that's been going on, you know, I don't know about you guys, but there's a couple of, you know, about three or four days where, um, we had curfew within the city and, mm. um, just, you know, having to acknowledge the fact of like, Hey, like, uh, this is while, you know, some, I understand while I maybe not like, I don't like the curfew or whatnot, but like understanding um, why it's in place and what this, what this actually means for me and for us, you know? And so uh, just having to have those real conversations um, and I haven't necessarily experienced uh, racial injustice on, uh, from her family or from others, you know, in a, in a very like clear and, you know, uh, example. Um, but definitely I'm aware, you know, we were aware of it, like, hey, possibility, you know, um, hey, like, because I've got stories of friends who are in, you know, uh, interracial relationships and have been, you know, where the husband has been questioned and pulled over and questioned, you know, for, you know, no reason other than the color of his skin and, and literally being to the point where the officer asking his wife, you know, in the passenger seat, like, it's okay. Let me know if you are like in, in harm right now. Like, like seriously. And it's like, you know, and I, I'm grateful. I haven't had to experience that. Um, but I'm not naive. I'm aware enough to, Hey, like this could happen. And, and so, um, just, and so I, that's my level of experience with it just within my marriage. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Matt and I both have a friend who we're actually going to interview as well. He's the mayor of Orange, um, and he's also in an interracial marriage. And we've talked about that a lot together about just uh, exactly what you're saying. Like he says, sometimes it feels like he doesn't belong to anybody because you have both sides saying different things or or insinuating things. And, you know, he's like, you feel like you're on your own island sometimes. Um, so, yeah. So tell me a little bit about Charleston as far as um, the community itself. Based on the nationwide stuff that we're seeing in pockets of the country, is Charleston, uh, I, I would think that would be considered a southern state, um, mm-hmm. yeah. is uh, an old Civil War town, too, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Is is Charleston experiencing what a lot of the other parts of the country are experiencing as far as uh, racial injustice and police uh, interactions yeah. that reflect all of that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, um, definitely are. And, and when, you know, the video, of the, uh, you know, horrific killing of George Floyd surfaced and, and it started to be shared out and, and everyone saw it. Um, obviously, you know, with it starting in Minneapolis, like the response um, and people, you know, with protests and, and then even moving towards, uh, you know, the riots and, and, and everything that was happening, uh, you know, when in Charleston, the truth is like in, about like six years ago, um, Charleston had their incident with a black male, Walter Scott, and a police officer um, in that video being gone, going viral and um, where Walter Scott was killed by a police officer in North Charleston. Um, and, um, and so having the tensions then, and then you know, not too long after that, the summer of 2015, the Emanuel non shooting, uh, where Dylan Roof went inside of a uh, predominantly black, you know, historic church in downtown Charleston, uh, and opened fire and, and killed nine people. And um, and so, when it comes to the racial injustice, you know, Charleston is no stranger to it. Um, because we've we've seen it in our own city. Um, and so, you know, over the last couple of weeks, it's been. Um, it's been different because it wasn't us in the, you know, Charleston in the media and in the national spotlight. Um, but the pain that was felt in Minnesota, um, was, was, was shared and experienced here, even though it was, you know, years ago, like a few years ago, the empathy was there, you know, Hey, we, we've navigated through this. We know the pain. We know, we understand exactly how you're feeling. Um, because, you know, it, it happened here first. And, um, and so we, what happened, um, you know, two weekends ago, we did see protests start and it started into, and it turned into riots. It turned into, um, groups of people damaging property and, and, and things downtown, um, downtown Charleston, and downtown Charleston being very historic, um, fueled by, the food and bev industry fueled by the uh, tourism, you know, hospitality industry, uh, just very historic. And, um, and and seeing some of those, you know, the, the protests and the riots that, that broke out, um, definitely coming from a place of um, hurt and pain. And I think because what was different was when that stuff happened, when the Mother Manual 9 shooting happened, there was a, uh, the son of one of the uh, individuals killed there. Um, his name was Chris Singleton. He was, he was the son of uh, a lady who, who died in that shooting. And he came out just a couple days later and, and, and shared with the media spotlight on him, like, Hey, we're called to forgive national spotlight. And I think that really, set the tone for how the city as a whole would respond. And while like, and he'll tell you, and like, he's a part of our church and awesome guy and he's married, got a two year old. And he'll tell you like, he's received backlash from those in the black community because, you know, it it came across when you say, Hey, like I'm going to forgive and I'm not going to respond with hate, but I'm going to respond with love. Like 
that's not what people want to hear, you know, especially when they feel like they've been wrong, when, when, when they feel like they've been mistreated. Um, what last thing you want to hear is say like, Hey, you need to forgive them. You need to them not hate them. Um, and, and what was different is when that, when he said that, that set the tone for how the city as a whole will respond. And we responded with prayer gatherers. We responded with peaceful protests. We responded with, uh, what was different than maybe what we've seen across the country. Um, and you know, especially that first weekend after it. Um, and so, uh, that's how Charleston's been. And so there have been still protests going on. Um, and, and, uh, maybe not on the, as big a scale as maybe you definitely got like your bigger cities. Um, but the protests have still been going on and, uh, it's very close to the heart of Charleston just because of its past being a Southern state, um, being, you know, uh, so closely connected with um, just just the, the the past of our country, um, so it's very very near to the heart of our city. Can you? Yeah. So let's go back to kind of the beginning. You you said you're. You're currently a pastor, or you're currently yep. Yep. A I'm a I'm our small group pastor. Small group pastor. Okay. Um, and is Charleston your hometown? Is that where you're born and raised? No, I'm from South Carolina, but I was born in the upstate in a small town called Greenwood, and I moved to Charleston and went to the College of Charleston downtown and graduated um, in 2017. So. Gotcha. Right on. Uh, I took a trip. I've been through uh, Charleston. Uh, stay a couple of nights uh, on some insurance adjusting claims. And uh, I was, I saw most of the nightlife in Charleston uh, mm-hmm. during the day I was in a conference room, but um, it was, it was a very pretty city. I enjoyed uh, especially what I saw and then uh, kept going. But one thing is, and Matt kind of talked about it is Charleston, um, uh, North Carolina, they, they consider them. I mean, they are, southern states in regards to back in the day but yeah uh we're talking and i'm talking to these ladies that i think have more of an accent than i do southern draw and uh you know we're just chatting i think this was in new Bern, north carolina and you know she she said something about us southern girls and i said oh where, where are you from she's oh i'm from right here in new Bern, north carolina honey i said Oh, okay. So y'all, y'all Southern, huh? And she's like, yeah, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from Texas. <laughs> she was like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty South. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was just curious. I mean, it, not every story uh, is, is going to be the same and that's really not what this is about. We don't want to just hear um about hardships. I mean, but if, you know, actually, I mean, the show is yours. So, I mean, if that's what you want to talk about, then it's open to it. But uh, our previous guest, uh, you know, he, he shared some stories of, uh, you know, some negative experience that he's, he's dealt with just simply based on, you know, how he's perceived. And then he did highlight some, uh, well, I asked him to highlight some, some good, Things. I was trying to capture like the beauty of some of the culture that he was just, uh, you know, exposed to growing up. And uh, so have, I guess, have you seen any difference in, in states that you've visited or whether it's north or south and any, any kind of reactions that you've gotten from others, uh, whether or not they're on the negative side or, or the good side? Just with everything going on or? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you could go back all the way to the beginning. Um, just maybe because everybody is born in innocence in this world. I don't think you're ever going to have, you're going to put two kids in a room, uh, white, black, Asian, whatever, and them immediately segregate themselves. I just don't, I mean, there's also yeah. studies that just doesn't happen. Uh, they share with sure. one another, they play with one another. I mean, kids will be kids, but for the most part, that's how it goes. Um, it, it appears that some of this uh, hate 
and segregation is is taught, whether or not it's yeah. intentionally, but sure. it, it is it's learned. Um, sure. So you can take it all the way back to the, to the beginning if you want. Just um, maybe some moments in time where you you've realized that maybe you weren't in the majority. You might have appeared a little different, or you might sure. have been treated sure. a little, or even yeah. highlight the good stuff. So, yeah, and I, I get what you're saying. Um, and for me, and, and I will, I'll, I'll, I'll share this, like, um, a little bit of my upbringing. Um, and it was it was really funny you asked that. Last week, I had a gentleman in our church um, who, um, he, he reached out to me with everything going on. And he's a white male and uh, got had two kids um, under the age of five. And it was everything going on he was just thinking and and, and been reflecting and uh, he reached out and was like hey i just would love to like talk to you and like and know what can i do as a father as a white male um how can i raise my kid to be aware of race but also teach him like how like teach him that we are for all people and and you know and so uh you know i just and honestly i told him i said hey like first off like you know I'm not a parent, so this is no expert advice coming to you. But uh, I just share it with them my upbringing, and um, and I, and I'll share that with you here. Um, I was born in a small town, and both of my parents are black, and I have a twin brother. It was just the two of us, and uh, as early as I can remember, um, I, I remember uh, just being in school, but also being in other settings outside of school where, um, I saw, I saw white people. I saw someone of a different skin color than me. And I, I remember clearly, um, in third grade, uh, I became really good friends with a kid named Jody and my class. And he happened to be a white, a white boy. And, uh, I remember his birthday was coming up and, he was having a birthday party. And so he had his birthday party at his house and he, his parents told him, you can choose one friend to stay over, sleep over. And I was the friend he picked. And, uh, in that moment, I, I, I think back to that moment. And again, I, I like remember after I told this guy this story and stuff, I ended up calling him a mom and we we're just talking about it. But in that moment, I'm sure his parents had to make a decision in that moment. My parents had to make a decision. And, and as a kid, I mean, I'm in third grade, just like what you're saying, Matt, like I don't understand the, the race ten, tensions and things at that point. I don't, you know? Um, but in that moment, I'm sure my parents and his parents had to make a decision and hey, we can either shut this down and come up with some excuse Tevin, you can't go over because we have to do this or what X, Y, Z or his parents could say like, Hey, Tevin can't sleep over because his, he's got, they could have come up with something. And as, as a third grader, like, Hey, like we take life for what it is. Like, we're not going to question it, you know, and we could have just moved on and just been like, Hey, like I wasn't able to go and stay over. Um, but both of our parents decided. And again, I don't know, like later talking to my mom about it, you know, she's like, yeah, I didn't think twice about it. Like his friend just wanted to have, wanted you to sleep over. And, and I don't know about his parents, but like they both made the decision. Hey, like we're going to support this friendship that our sons have built in school. And so like I stayed over and, you know, that, that was like a launching back for our friendship. And we were friends, you know, all the way through high school. And, and, uh, and there was decision, decision, you know, I, I I would, I wouldn't be the last time I would go over and stay over. And then he would sleep over at my house and come to my house. And, 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 uh, we would spend time with each other's families and our families would like hang out. And, and so it it reached a point where like there were decisions with me and Jody, like our friendship, but also other situations where, you know, maybe there were settings and things that, that was going to put me in a predominantly white environment. My parents either had to make the decision like we're going to shut this down for me and my brother or we're going to support it and we're going to encourage them. We, I was, you know, I was a Cub Scout I, and then I did Boy Scouts for a little bit before I started really getting involved in sports. And it's like predominantly white environment. Like 
And in that moment, what, you know, my parents, again, had a decision to make. We could support this or we could, you know, we could shut it down. And, um, and, and that would just, you know, decisions like that. And also when I would get into high school and, and my mom said, you know, like, just because of my class schedule and I was taking, you know, certain classes and stuff, I was, I was the minority in a lot of my classes. And naturally I just became friends with the people I was in class with. And, and, um, and my mom saw that and, and where my brother maybe, you know, spent more of his time and had more like, you know, deeper friendships with, with other black people. I had, you know, good and strong friendships with, with those who like were white. And my mom, like my mom said, I noticed that, but like, I'm not, I, she was not going to come in and like, Hey, you got too many white friends. You need to make black. She's going to like encourage me and support me to like be friends with whoever I want to make friends with. And, and, and I was friends with them again, not because like I didn't want to be friends with black people or anything. I was friends because like, I spent most of my school day with them. You know, we was together. We, I, you know, I'm at lunch with them and stuff. And so um, all those decisions though, like really helped shape my worldview. And I think if at any point my parents would have shut that down while they could have come up with any excuse, um, I think, and just like what you said, like, None of us have control over the family we're born to, the environment we're born into, like where we live. We, we don't have control over that. We don't have control over our family history. We, we don't. So um, and a lot of our upbringing is, is out of our control. Um, we're just products of our environment. And so in saying that, you know, the decisions that my parents made, they really helped shape my worldview because they could have shut down any of those scenarios and it probably would have definitely shaped my worldview. And I would have, you know, if I would have just only been in black environments. But while I might, while they could come up with any music, I would end up becoming, I would grow up to be a grown man making decisions for myself. And I would then continue just to continue the cycle of, hey, like I'm only, I was raised in only black environment. And so I'm going to only put myself in black environments or, hey, I was only raised in white environments. So I'm going to put myself in white environments or, you know, and so I think as parents, you know, you really, and I was telling this guy on the phone, I said, you have the opportunity as the kid grows up and as you raise them, like you have the opportunity to really help shape his worldview. And a lot of the decisions that you make and what you support and what you shut down will speak louder to in, than any conversation just sitting down at a dinner table and talking to them and saying we're for all people. Cause you could say we're for all people, but you know, never allow them to have a black friend over for a sleepover or, you know, the, what do you say? I told him there's going to come a day. Like he may come home and say, there's a black girl in this class who's cute. Well, will you say in that moment, we'll say, no, we don't like, you know what I mean? Will you discourage that? Or will you support it? So in those moments, you really like shape a kid's view and, you know, and so that doesn't negate the fact of like my parents definitely having conversations with me and my brother of like, hey, you are a black individual in this country and not just a black individual, but you are a black man. And so this is what that means. And like even at a young age, like having that conversation and maybe not fully understanding it, but like just having an awareness of like, hey, like, you know, people would look at me because I'm a black male and some people and and what my parents did was great. They didn't say, you know, hey, all all white people look at you like this because you're black. So that some people, some people may look at you, and, and if they do, like that's okay. Like you just move on, you know. Um, don't make a scene. Don't you know? You don't 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 judge them back. Like take it forward, move on, you know. Um, and, and and understanding that that was wrong, you know, and, and understanding that. Uh, there are people who who will look at you know me or look at others who are you know who are black or African American and like judge them based on their skin color and I and I've had you know decisions and I've had scenarios where um, you know I haven't been able to go to a certain event with one of my friends from high school um, as their date because of the color of my skin well well my you know and the conversation being my grandmother wouldn't uh, wouldn't would not alike. They wouldn't allow that. They would not like that. How would this look um, to, you know, the older generation? And even, you know, here in Charleston, 
me being pulled over outside of my home and being questioned by officer, like just over the fact that, Hey, do you, do you actually live in that home? You know? Um, and having to like show my license with my address right there, you know? And so, um, you know, it's, I was very blessed and I know even, um, with, with my life, my upbringing, I've been, I've been given even a measure of privilege myself of just having two, having two parents who are still married to this day, having a father who was involved in my life, who was present, um, who was at my football games, who was at home, who like, you know, had the tough conversations, who, who definitely like raised me and like, you know, even with opportunities with education and stuff, I know that I was very fortunate and very blessed uh, and privileged to have those opportunities. And that may not be the case with everybody else, but it does not negate the fact that like, just because I haven't, you know, experienced it myself doesn't mean that it's not out there and that it doesn't happen. You know, it's, it's like the old uh, Charlie from Santa Claus is quote um, in the Santa Claus movie, just because you've never seen a million dollars doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So, um, yeah, and I think the same thing with like racial tensions and, and the injustice and, and I've been having conversations with people in the last couple of weeks and who maybe haven't, they don't understand it. They, you know, Hey, I don't, I don't really see it. Like, I don't see this systemic injustice. I don't see this. I don't see that. Like, and, and that really being my response of like, Hey, just because you haven't experienced it yourself or you, you haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, you know? Um, so that's been kind of my experience with it, with it all. And I hope that answered your question. Yeah, for sure. And I want to say kudos to your parents. They sound really awesome. And I want to encourage them to make a, maybe a, a parenting for dummies book that we can distribute to the rest of the U S population. Right. <laughs> hey, listen, that was, they, I'm the, and the older I get, the more like I think back and the more grateful I am, you know, um, how they raised me in the moment didn't seem like didn't seem like good parenting uh but i was very blessed with <laughs> parents who you know definitely raised uh yeah. me and my brother you know got a good head on our shoulders and and uh you know just good kids so uh yeah it's it's and you know in in my and talking to my mom she she is like you know she was like that we raised you guys that way because that's how, you know, she was raised. She wasn't raised to hate white people. And she would, she would be, you know, raised when, you know, the segregation and stuff like was, you know, was a real thing. And like when they started integrating the schools and stuff, like my parents would have definitely been like affected by that and would have been still on the heels of like all the tensions then. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> they were raised and experienced and even their parents could have definitely like instilled hate in them. Uh, and so in talkers, man, it's a cycle. It's a cycle and it's on both sides. It's not just like whites. It's, it's also blacks too. It's, it's a cycle on both sides to where, Hey, like, you know, blacks can, can be in this cycle and be raised and taught that, Hey, the white man, all white people hate you. All white people are bad. All white people are this or that. And, and, and you just end up giving that to your kids and they're raised in that. And then they give it to their kids. And so, and the same thing for whites, you know, like, Hey, black people are a threat. Black people aren't to be, you know, you're not to be kind to them. And then all these things are taught just like what you're saying, Matt. And I think we have the opportunity, especially as, as followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to break the cycle and to start, you know, a new trend, to start a new cycle, to start a new way of living in a new way uh, of seeing the world and, and seeing people in it. So, Hey, I was going to ask, going back to your family, are you, were, were you raised in a Christian home? Uh, you know, you say Christian home, my mom, uh, my mom and dad, uh, and more my mom, she definitely like kept us in church. And I wouldn't say like it was a Christian home. Uh, it's not like we'd come together and have like family devotion or like family prayer time or anything like that. Um, but she kept us in church and like, church was like, that was a regular thing in our life. And, and um, it definitely, because of that, it definitely shaped um, a lot of, a lot of my childhood. Um, it, it definitely shaped a lot of uh, the decisions I would make growing up and stuff. And, 
things I would get into or, or I wouldn't get into. And, uh, and so for that, I'm grateful. I wouldn't necessarily say it was like the ideal strong, like, you know, um, Christian home, but, uh, it definitely influenced, um, being in those environments definitely influenced me and my brother. Yeah. I'm just, <clears throat> I, I totally understand, stand that, um, that was a very similar upbringing that I had. Uh, church was a constant. We weren't like sitting by, you know, the couch together and, and doing devotionals, but church is always a constant. And, and I'm with you, even those moments in my life where I was making poor decisions, what brought me back was that foundation of uh, being raised in church. And I just wonder how yeah. much, uh, how much that affects the negative side. I mean, I, I know, but families who are, you know, you said you were raised with mom and dad, together in the home you know there's a lot of broken homes uh, throughout america no matter what race you're in and there tends to be a very negative outlook of the world uh when you've seen a lot of separation and heartache in the home and it, it makes it hard to want to see the good in things when what you've experienced is just consistently bad and so um and, and i know from even like the white culture uh those types of home environments they they speak with a lot of ignorance of things that happen in the world, and it's that same cycle that you were talking about. It just keeps getting passed down from generation to generation, uh, based on bad experiences, and it becomes their entire uh, doctrine for how they live their life. Uh, yeah, with people who are different. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what do you think? Um, Right now, specifically, what do, you, what do you think the church's response should be to what's happening? And it, our conversation, like we're having, the, is it the right place to start? Uh, you know, what should the church be doing now? Because I know a lot of pastors are, are wanting to know, like, what do I do? You know, how do I help? How do I yeah. get the, this this moving forward? Yeah, I think, uh, and what I'm about to say is not very practical. Um, it, it probably won't. So like for the, for the people watching and, and, and they'll be listening to this, um, this isn't going to be your type A people. This isn't going to necessarily be very helpful maybe. Um, cause the thing is like with something like this, it's a big, it's a big, big animal. It's a big beast, right? Big elephant. And, and you know, they'll saying like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so I think it's full. It'd be foolish for me or anybody, anybody in this conversation, to to think that hey, like we can come up with a twelve step plan in a meeting, and like boom, let's execute it, and now we're going to solve social, like you know, we're going to solve solve racial justice, and, and we're, we're, that's not going to happen. Um, I believe how we're going to tackle this issue in our country um, is. It's going to be one bite at a time. And I think the best place to start is one, like, just, like, educate yourself. Like, even for myself, even for me, like, as a black male, like, educating myself. Like, what is the, what is the past? What is, like, what are the facts, you know? And, and educating myself. But then, to like, going from there to now, like, let's have a conversation. Um, and I say all that as, as the church, you know, I say that because, um, I think the church's response in this is education and then just, just communication and, and, and conversation. And, um, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, well, what do we do? Like, and I, I, I can't help just being a Jesus follower. I can't help but go back to the life of Jesus. You know, that's, that's, that's my God. You know? And, and when I look at the life of Jesus, um, and I was talking to my wife about this, you know, last week, it's like, Hey, like Jesus was was criticized for standing with people who were outcasts, standing with people who had no value in society, who people did not want to be around. Jesus spent time with the lepers. He spent time with tax collectors, like people who, you know, were just really tax collectors were like, you know, traitors to the Jewish culture because they, they were, you know, they worked for Rome. And so, um, and just the Jewish community despised Rome. They just did. And like, so now like Jesus 
spends time with tax collectors, those who are traitors. And Jesus is a Jewish man. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? Jesus, you know, he he told the story of the good Samaritan and where the, the Samaritan was the hero like that. I'm sure when he told that story, people would have been listening and sucking their teeth, you know, like, yeah, you know, air and, and just been in shock and disbelief. Jesus stood by a well and talked to a Samaritan woman, like a Jewish man and Samaritan had no business dealing with each other, let alone like a woman, a Samaritan woman. So Jesus, Jesus operated and he lived against the norms and the culture that how people had been raised. No doubt Jesus probably would have been raised as a, as a Jewish man. Like he'd have been raised to know that you don't deal with Samaritans. You don't deal with tax collectors. He would have been raised in all of that. Yet when he started his public ministry, he, he dealt with people differently um, and lived differently. And when I look at that in a time like this, you know, it, when there's a group of people in our nation and being black people are crying out saying black lives matter and really black lives matter is not, it's more of a, it's more than just a statement. You only say black lives matter if you feel like black lives are in question. So here, here we are saying, you know, here's a group of people in our nation who are, who are in this country who are saying, does my life matter because I'm black? Does my life matter? And if they have to ask that question, even if it, even if it may not seem, even if it seems like, you know, Hey, that's false. Your life does matter. What you're feeling is false. Okay. Like, well, if they are asking the question is perception and and perception can be reality. So that's right. If they are questioning if their life, if their life matters, when I look at the life of Jesus, he went, he always went towards the pain. He always went towards the group of people who were outcasts. He always went towards those who felt like they had no voice. Those who felt like they had no, Jesus always moved towards them. And I, and I see that in the, you know, story of the good Samaritan, the Samaritan went towards the Jewish man who was in pain. He didn't, he didn't shy away from it. He didn't turn an eye to it. He didn't walk past them, but he went towards them and got off his animal and what I love, my favorite part in the whole story is that we don't have an account of the Samaritan getting off his animal and asking, how did you get here, sir? What's your past? Let me know the whole facts. Let me get the whole story before I help you, before I take the stance. Like, we don't see that with the Good Samaritan. We know the Good Samaritan is a bigger picture of how Jesus would leave his throne in heaven and come and, and, and he's our Good Samaritan. And, but when I read, when I read that story and I see that, and I look at the life of Jesus, that then shapes how I should respond towards pain. That's any pain that any situation anywhere there's pain, that's we and me as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I need to move towards the pain. And right now the pain in our country is, is the racial injustice. It's a black lives matter. Like that's where the pain is. So as a church, we should respond and go towards it. And, and so and and I was, you know, people who ask, so well, all lives matter. Yes, all lives matter, but like right now, all lives aren't in question. And right now, the the, the thing is, is hey, I believe that black lives matter because I believe that black lives are created in the image of God, just like yeah. any other race, just like anyone else. And so um I think just conversations, I think just having educating yourself and then having a conversation. Because I think it's easy to get up and, uh, you know, get behind a screen, computer, or phone and, and, and say hashtag Black Lives Matter or just, you know, just, just go off and maybe um, share your thoughts or your opinions on an issue and really talk to anybody face to face. It's easy to do that. That's the easy part, you know. Um, but what's harder is is going to be like the face to face conversations, the phone calls, the the. Yeah. Well, that's where I think because you know, if I don't like what you say, man, I can just block you on social media, and I don't have that's to, right. or I can unfollow you, and I don't have to see it, and you can never know that, you know. Um, but when we sit down and we have a conversation, you're able to see tone, you're able to see emotion, you're able to like see these things and also you're just face to face and it's like so i think 
I think there need to be more conversations and less post. Um, and, and the conversations in private rooms is where the progress is going to be made. Um, the conversation, you know, cause I don't want this to be a flash in the pan. I don't want there to be protests and I don't want there to be initiatives and, and want there to be, uh, things that just happen for a couple of weeks, you know, um, my senior pastor, we were talking today and we were just talking about the, the Montgomery boycott of the bus system, you know, and it's like that lasted it for 381 days, you know, like that's over a year. So like if we're a couple weeks into this and we're like, all right, I'm already tired. Like then that's, that's when we need to press in more and, and keep yeah. going because um, it's only in those conversations will like real progress be made, real change be made. And, and, if you can, if you if you can type out a hashtag and say Black Lives Matter on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, like the real the rubber's gonna meet the road when when it's November and, and you're sitting at a dinner table, you're sitting at Thanksgiving, and a family member says something that you don't agree with, will you in your heart say Black Lives Matter and speak up? Yeah, have the conversation then because. When you have the conversation, then that's when progress is going to be made. Not not when we just post stuff and you know hash, you know blackout Tuesday. That's good, and I think that's all like you know. I think that's honorable, but the progress is going to be made in conversations and groups of people and, and through relationship, through relationship, and so um, one bite at a time. As I think, as our response as a church and our salute and so if you're a pastor out there trying to figure out what to do um what can we do i think hey educating yourself but also educating your church and then just let's start having conversations let's start having a dialogue um about it and so um i hope that's helpful and not very practical but i think um you know that's our response yeah, that's one of the things I wrote down when you were talking about your experience as a, as a child was you were making friendships. Like the racial thing didn't matter because you got to know somebody based on their personality, you know, shared interest, whatever. And that's where that wall didn't exist um, Yeah, in the context of relationship. So I think you're right. I think that, you know, um, and for some people, I think it's going to be extremely difficult to get past a lifetime of being told one thing or to believe one certain thing. Um, you know, as a white uh, kid growing up, um, it was very common to joke about racial things with people of the other, of, of the opposite, opposite skin color. Um, and you look back, you're like, why, why do we joke about that? You know, it wasn't, wasn't fair to them. They would joke about white people. We were friends. And, and I think even in those contexts, those jokes can, uh, they don't, they don't forward the cause of equality, uh, at all. Uh, even if you're friends with someone like, I really don't care at some point, at some level in your heart, it does affect you when you hear those things, because it just reaffirms that negative narrative that, Hey, you are this or you're that. And that's all you're ever sure. going to be. Sure. And, and, you and know? I've had to, you know, and I've had to repent of, of, things that I've done and I've said, and, and, you know, like, um, you know, joking of like, Oh, like you're, you're, Oh, you're, you're saying that cause I'm black or like, Oh, you pit me exactly. cause I'm black or like, ha ha ha. Like, Oh, that's racist. Ha ha ha. Like, and it's like, yo, that's, that's not funny. Like, cause people have lost their lives, you know? And, you know, George Floyd's family wouldn't think that's funny. You know, that's Ahmaud right. Arbor, his family wouldn't think that's funny. And like, what seems what it seems like a moment of like humor, it, it's it's like not helpful, and you know even for myself, it's like I'm looking in the mirror and like, hey, like if if I can joke about it, that will just communicate to everyone else. It's not that big a deal. We yeah. can we can we can relax right. and and we can joke about it. And it's like, hey, like so. There's even for me as a black man, like there's responsibility even for me, you know, just like hey, like how am I carrying myself, like. What am I like? And I had to, you know, I had to ask for, ask for forgiveness and repent of that, you know, and just like, you know, I want to be a part of the solution. And like, so I've got to change. Like, if, if I'm looking to be funny, like I got to find some new jokes then, you know, and, and right. there's some, there's some not, not jokes that I can use or something, but like, 
you know, that, that can't be one of the jokes I use, you know, that can't, yeah. I can't make those kind of statements, you know? Yeah. I remember I was getting ready to go to Bible college and one of the elders of the church came up to me and he said, uh, pull me off to the side and grab my arm and very quietly said to me, don't you bring back a black girlfriend, except he didn't use the word black. And we're in the back of the sanctuary. And uh, I'm sure he saw the shocked look on my face that he said that. And I just turned and walked away. You know, I replay that a lot in my mind, especially now with what we're dealing with. I'm thinking, you know, I should have right then uh, addressed that head on with him because it was completely inappropriate. And it just goes to show that even in the church, we still have this mentality in certain areas. And this is right in my backyard that, hey, we're not going to accept this um, at all. Yeah. And and so I, I think what you said was absolutely spot on that uh, in the context of relationship, uh, walls can be brought down. And I think even education can happen in the context of friendships because you and I both know um, that, for instance, in a small group, someone, most people aren't willing to share their deep stuff until they know they can trust you with that deep stuff. And so I think the same thing with this uh, issue that we're facing now as a country is that there are people who are literally crying out, stop, we need help, don't do this, we need to change what we're doing. And if we're not willing to build a relationship to actually hear that and hear the why behind the, the holler and the screams and even the riots, uh, then you're never going to understand how to find that solution and, and tear down those walls uh, of, of segregation. Yeah. Because even though we can share a bathroom and a water fountain, there's still a lot of people who feel segregated in their hearts. and. I can go through town right now, all the churches that we have in our county and you have black churches, you have white churches and very few are together. And um, a lot of them still feel like I'm safer in my own pocket here because I just don't know that I can trust the other person. And one of the things that we learn in South Carolina at our training with uh, real life uh, uh, discipleship network and all that is that you want to create a safe environment. Um, which helps foster growth. And I think that same principles applied to sure. what we're talking about today. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can't agree more. And and you do that by like, and again, it's all organic, you know, cause a church you can go or, or an organization a bit, you can go out and be like, yeah, I'm going to hire the first black guy I see, you know? Right. Um, and that may not be the move you need to make. Um, but you know, just it, you start you start it with your culture, your organization, your church, your business, um, whatever. And and um, you know, just like we're just saying, you create that safe environment by like, hey, like when when and, and that's not to say like you don't call things out or you don't speak truth, but like you do it in such a way that's gentle. That's the thing. I think as the church. And this could be a whole other topic, but I think the church, you know, I think we we got we have the word of God. We know what God's word says. And we look at the life of Jesus, and I think we we try to come in and, and share God's word, but we miss the tone that Jesus had. So we have his words, right? We know what he said, but we miss his tone. And we come across and we're like we try to take our Bibles and we try to hit people across the head with it, or we just have this like really harsh tone with people when we call them out in their sin and like I just I go back to the tone that, you know, Jesus had at the well with the Samaritan woman. There's no, there's no way that Jesus could have called her out in her sin with a harsh tone. And it would have been received so well to where she went back to the village and said, Hey, come see a man that told me everything I ever done. Could this be the Christ? Like I, I got to believe that he called her out and what he said to her, he just had such a gentle and loving tone. And through that, he's like, I'm not you out. Like, um, I'm, here. I'm not condemning you. I love you. I'm, I'm, and, you know, he like, I and him telling, confessing, and and showing himself to her that I am the Christ. Like, that's his tone and the way that he presented it, the way that he spoke to her, interacted with her. That's what propelled her to, you know, want to go and tell everybody to come see this guy. Um, yeah. you know, just I think so that's what that's been a prayer of mine just like these days like i want i want i want to have the heart of jesus and 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 share what he said but also i don't want to miss his tone because if i have the wrong tone then i can mess the message up 
That's right. So. Yeah, the word tells us his kindness is what compels and draws people in. And so if we're going to reflect anything, I mean, that's a great place to start, is just reflect that tone, uh, that loving kindness uh, that he has um, for us. Um, that's really good. That's really good stuff, man. I, I was writing some stuff down, man. You, you're saying some really good things. I think that anybody listens to this is getting a different perspective than what we heard uh, last episode. Um, but I think they go together. I mean, I, I really do. And, um, and I just want to say thank you for the work you're doing for the kingdom in Charleston. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and if you didn't catch at the very beginning, it's awakened church. So if you're in the Charleston area, area, it's a great church, great staff, great facility, great town. Um, the website's awakenchurch.cc. Um, and if you're in Charleston, you got to go by halls and get you a nice expensive steak. Get you the, get you the tomahawk and listen, you got to get the size, the size of where it's at. You got to get absolutely. The cream corn, oh my gosh! It, I mean, I could just eat buckets of that. So that's good stuff. And the wagyu, the wagyu was good. Uh, last yeah, time I mean, we was there, Dan Marino was there with Jim Stuckey, and uh, they were celebrating a birthday. So there you great, go. There great you place. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, if I could share one more thing, um, sure. And, and again, I don't know who who this will, you know, who will be watching, but. Um, one of the things that I've learned and, you know, is, and I've seen just in conversations and debates and things online and, and people's response, you know, um, and, and this is more tailored towards those who claim to follow Jesus. Um, when we claim, when we say, make the decision to follow Jesus, when we say that we're a Christ follower, um, that means that we, we, He's now the Lord of our life. So what he says goes. Um, Now, I understand that God has set up, you know, government and and the Bible is very clear to pray for your government leaders and and to pray for those in authority. Um, But ultimately, like Jesus is Lord of my life. And so I love this country and I'm grateful to live in this country. Um, and I was having a conversation with a guy just yesterday um, when it comes to the systemic injustice stuff. And there's a lot of education that I even need to do myself, you know, and learning. And I think we all can. Um, but I think where as a country, and again, I want to say this, I cannot hold someone accountable to think and to live the same way that I do if they don't know Jesus. If they don't know Jesus, we got to start there first before we can go anywhere. Um, but if they claim to follow Jesus, then we've got to look at now, because I follow Jesus, I see the world differently than I did before. So like, I see the way I see my country differently. I see the, see the laws and the systems differently now because I follow Jesus. Um, and so I think about how would Jesus, you know, what does Jesus have to say about this? How would he, how would he navigate this? What would he feel about this? I have to ask myself those questions. When it comes to our systems, when it comes to our laws, when it comes to the systems and the injustice that maybe that are present there systematically, um, I have to say, you know, like, hey, when this country, this great country was established, I got just you got to ask the question like, hey, like, I think it's foolish to think that, hey, like when we established this country, we got it right on the first time. <laughs> like. You know, and so, and, and to know that, hey, like, think people change and things change and, and times change. Um, and I don't never want to get to the place where we say, like, yeah, I, I never want to get to the place where I, I, you know, take the American law, I take the Constitution, I take things that are man-made and hold them so, like, close to me, equivalent to scripture, equivalent to truth. Now, I know there's some people who may think that the Constitution is their truth. Yeah. But for me, because I'm a Jesus follower, like, God's word, that's my truth. Like, so I didn't make that up. I didn't fabricate that. It was true before I even got here. It, it's going to be true even after I leave this earth. Like, 
that's what truth is. Truth is absolute. So, but when it comes to our laws and things, things are man-made. I think we just have to take the approach and just humble ourselves and, and say like, Hey, like if there's some things and systematically that we need to shore up, that we need to go back and revisit and we may need to change, like, let's do it. If it's going to be in favor for all people. That's um, right. And cause you know, we can make like, let's, let, we can make changes and, and we realize, you know, 50 years from now, Hey, back in 2020, we thought, we thought we, we thought we had it right, but you know what? Like, like we might need to update and make some changes again. You know, like right before I jumped into the zoom call, like zoom said, you need to update before we jump on the meeting. And like my iPhone updates, it seems like every other night, like, and the thing like, Hey, like America's constitution, like we, that we got it right on the first time and we can't make changes to it, especially when it's man-made, especially when it's, we're all fallen and broken and sinful. Like, and so to think that we perfectly got it right on the first time, like the American constitution and the Bible are not on the same level, that's you know? Right. And so if we, so if, if we can, if we, you know, and I think, cause I know that's where some of the tensions that that's where some of the tension really lies. It's not necessarily in black lives matter. Not just, it's when you start bringing up like, you know, system, systematic like injustice and, 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 and the systems and the powers and you start talking about things because things will, you know, when things start to get political, like that's when the tensions arise. And, and I just, and I have to ask myself, you know, I want to, I commit to Jesus more than I commit to America. Now I, I love this country and I abide by the laws, but I, I want, I want to do what he says and, and be where he is. And, and I, I just got to believe that if Jesus was walking in America, Again, Jesus, Jesus was Jesus was disruptive, man. That's what he was so disruptive that they plotted to kill him. You know, like it, and it. Jesus went against the religious authorities. He went against the Pharisees. He went against the way that they had set up systems in the church. Like he just went against it, and he disrupted the way that they were thinking. He disrupted the way they were living, the way they were doing things, and. and I gotta believe if Jesus was walking around in 2020, he'd be very disruptive. Like for sure, he he he's disruptive in all of us who claim to follow Jesus through His Holy Spirit. Like we, he's disrupted like the things you know, just like we're talking about those jokes who we used to laugh at. Jesus disrupted that. Hey, those jokes aren't funny anymore. Oh, you know, for anyone, hey, you used to, I know you used to watch that. Hey, I'm gonna disrupt that that thought process and like, hey, that's not okay to watch anymore. Or that's not the way I treat my wife. That's not, you know, he disrupts things. And, and so I think I think right now as a country, we're in a good place. Because right now I feel like there's some disruption. There's some disruption. And I don't want I don't want the church to be the, the group of people who shy away from it. But I think we can press in and 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 ask for guidance from the Holy Spirit and have conversations and be educated and like lead the way in in this. So I think if we started in the churches first start for equality first in the churches and we start to push back against some of the injustice and and the the biases and the preferences and stuff i think i think the rest of the culture the rest of the world will follow suit so yeah thanks for having me on man oh no no yeah thank you for making yourself available um every athlete will tell you sometimes they have to get back to the basics no matter how advanced they are exactly uh, Maybe it's time for America to get back to the basics. Uh, let's start at the Ten Commandments, and then we'll focus on love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love your neighbor. Um, but yeah, Tevin, thank you for being available. I love uh, your story, uh, and, and not everybody's going to be the same. That's what I love about it. Uh, getting perspectives, getting voices out there. Uh, and it, it might be a generational thing. It might, some of this hate might have to die off with generations. But I mean, look back in the Old Testament. Not many times did God send uh, a prophet and within that same generation, uh, it come through. It yeah. might not have been the next generation or the generation after that. Yeah. But was the principles uh, that his children lived with that ensured his kingdom happen. So this might be a moment in time where we uh, get back to the basics and 
and teach our children the right yeah. things so that their yeah. generation and the generation after them can be closer in line with his kingdom. But yeah, yeah thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, Matt, you want to having me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, thanks Kevin for being here. And, uh, you know, uh, I can definitely see us having more conversations with you in the future about a lot of things, especially like how to have a nice physique, like you've got, you know, looking like, Hey, you thought I stepped back. I was like, I like those shoulders. I was looking at mine. I was like, oh, I look like I like it. Oh, listen, man, listen, listen. When you go online, you gotta you gotta change up things. And I'm wearing black right now. Why? Because black is slimming. So that's why I'm wearing black, bro. I got the memo too. Exactly. Exactly. So, and then you know, you zoom out a little bit. You know, so so you know, zoom in a little bit. You fill up the picture more. You know, so that's funny. Yeah. But check out, if you're in the Charleston area, check out Awaken Church. Um, uh, it's awakenchurch.cc, uh, the website. Find out all about what Taven and his team with uh, Pastor Brandon's doing in the Charleston area. Uh, it's a great ministry, great church. And if you'd like to find out more about discipleship, I'm sure Tevin and uh, his guys would love to fill you in on that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thanks again for tuning in, and uh, we'll be with you guys uh, next episode with some more perspective on what's happening in America. And uh, we appreciate you for tuning in. We'll catch you next time here on the Matcast. 